Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Popcorn Conspiracy. Tonight we're going to be taking a look at uh, two of the big blockbuster movies that one is out now and one is coming out very, very soon. We're going to take a look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the movie that uh, seems to have really taken off. Maybe it's just because of uh, the last Marvel movie that came out was a little bit of a flop with Venom, so perhaps that's why this movie's getting such great press. We'll talk about that tonight, and we'll also talk about Bumblebee. Talking of franchises that have been copying a little bit of bad press over the years, definitely Transformers. So we'll take a look at Bumblebee and whether or not this is the movie to save the Transformers franchise. But without any further ado, I am Dave G, and joining me tonight is my best friend. Hey everybody, my name's Kyle. And like I said, we're going to be taking a look at these two great movies. And to kick it off, let's start off by taking a look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, as I said, this movie, uh, I don't know whether it was because of the bad stuff that came out with Venom, like how bad Venom was, but for some reason, this movie just created traction and for, it's almost become like as eagerly anticipated as what the latest Avengers movie has been as well. So I have to ask, mate, Let's start off. What did you think of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Oh, well, I, I really enjoyed it a lot more than I kind of thought I would. Um, as you say, yeah, the last few Spider-Man like, live-action movies haven't really caught me. Um, I think it's, like, even though they've all had different filmmakers behind them, I think a lot of the, the decisions have been made by people at Sony. And, um, yeah, so there's, like, something we were talking about with Venom was the, uh, the comedy didn't really sit right. Um, and just the, the, the decisions made with them haven't really been that great. Like, I loved Spider-Man 1 and 2, but, like, everything after that, I've kind of just left the cinema, like, shaking my head. Um, like, yeah, the, amazing, the entire Amazing Spider-Man, like, both those movies, and, yeah, Spider-Man Homecoming. I, lo- I love Spider-Man, but, like, yeah, just the movies haven't really grabbed me. But this one, I really, I really enjoyed it, and I think it might be because of the uh the decision to go with um animation uh and much more like a a like it's something that lands itself much better to the the style that sony wanted to go with with this franchise like the comical style that they wish to go with um just maybe doing something like yeah like an animation um movie like uh full-on like farcical movie like hyper reality uh kind of it made it a lot more, a lot more enjoyable. So the comedy sat with me a lot better. I just enjoyed the movie a lot more. The story, I was still a bit, eh, not really. I didn't think it was that well put together. But uh, just, the, just overall, I enjoyed the movie a lot more. Um, I know it was uh, 
I'm not entirely sure what exactly they had to do with it, but I know that the uh, um, uh, was it Christopher Miller and uh, Lord uh, who worked on the uh, the Lego Movie and yep. Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that they they were involved in this, and they I think that well, that really did help it as well. Um, well I did, Phil, I did, Phil Lord wrote yeah. the screenplay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's I keep saying it's like oh, from the, the the creators of you know the makers of the 21 Jump Street and the Lego movie and stuff. But, like, when I saw the credits, I was like, what exactly did both of them do? Like, they didn't both direct it or they didn't both write I'm not... Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't totally sure. I know that they produced it, but, yeah. Um, anyway, but, yeah, I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, what did you think of it, dude? Yeah, I enjoyed it too, but I think one of the reasons why I enjoyed this so much was it wasn't another rehash Peter Parker origin story. This mm-hmm. was, of course, the new Spider-Man, Miles Morales, and I think that actually helped it because one of the things that i've had an issue with is and maybe it's because i love the original spider-man movie so much with toby Maguire, but it's just been hard to watch the same peter yeah, parker story over and over same um, origin story there's only so many times you can tell the exact same story yeah and i think because this is miles morales and like his origin story i think that actually helped which it's really funny because I am such a purist when it comes to comic book movies that when I first heard about this film, I was like, man, I'm having trouble accepting, like, new Spider-Man in the comics. Like, I'm not ready for it in movies. Like, Peter Parker is Spider-Man, there'll never be another Spider-Man. But I actually found myself really enjoying this, like, new take on Spider-Man, and it sets it up really well to show why Miles becomes Spider-Man really well, and... This has actually been one of those movies where the more I thought about it afterwards, the more I kind of liked it. And also, reading my press notes. I know as a critic, you should always read your press notes, but I hadn't read my press notes going into this film. And my biggest criticism when I came out of this movie was the inclusion of Spider-Ham. I I thought that was going too much over the top. I read my press notes and read an interview with uh, Phil Lord and realized that Actually, Spider-Ham was a character that was around for, a, like, a few years. Um, so they haven't actually gone into The Simpsons and ripped out Spider-Pig and given him a part in the movie. They have actually based it on a Marvel character. So that, to me, kind of made that a little bit more... I thought... I still think, perhaps, Spider-Ham is not the right character to have had there. And I think that, perhaps, with um, Spider-Noir, uh, Penny Parker... And all of those characters, I think they may have too many. Um, I think this movie would have worked a lot better if it had just been uh, Miles, uh, Peter B. Parker, um, and uh, Gwen, Spider-Gwen, and uh, yeah, I think just those characters would have been enough. But um, yeah, I I can forgive them a little bit more now for including Spider-Ham as well. Yeah, the, um, well, let's go into the story a bit. The, the... The story is uh, Kingpin wants to open up this, uh, open up portals to other dimensions, and in doing that, he ends up bringing a whole bunch of other alternate universe Spider-Man characters into this universe, and um, it, it it it's cool because it's like pretty early on, like this this universe's Spider-Man. Peter Parker actually is killed. And, like, Miles Morales, uh, he ends up getting Spider-Man powers. 
the way that that was introduced, it kind of still, I've still got some questions about that, but we'll move on. Um, but yeah, they introduced a whole bunch of other, like alternate universe Spider-Man. Like in this universe, uh, Peter Parker's actually like this really great alpha male, awesome dude. He's got the girl and everything. Uh, but now then they introduce a Peter Parker, which in his universe is actually kind of a loser. Uh, they introduce Gwen Stacy, who, in her universe, Peter Parker, uh, Gwen Stacy was actually bitten by the spider, not Peter Parker. Um, then they start, but later on in the movie, they introduce a few other characters that, and this is one thing, like, with the story, it was a little, this went a little off the rails, um, they were more, they weren't really, like, alternate universe characters. I know that, th- I think some of them came from, like, other um what if spider-man like what if comic books you know like that's where they they came from but they weren't really from like alternate universes like oh like what if um what if gwen stacy got bitten by the spider instead of peter parker you know they weren't from like alternate universes like that they were like from alternate dim- alternate realities you know yeah um like yeah, we, we, okay. Like in this in this universe, Spider Man is actually like a black and white like film noir detective story. In this universe, uh, the Spider Man character is kind of like an anime a, a anime girl with a with a robot character. And in this other universe, the Spider Man character is actually a cartoon pig who does like Looney Tunes style Roger Rabbit kind of stuff you know i didn't really like i even though i liked some of the characters i thought um i don't even know what the what the character spider-man noir or whatever like what what his character was called yeah um i actually liked that character i liked some of them like how they were used in the movie but just how they came into this like story-wise it didn't really make much sense like especially when you find out like what like um what kingpin was intending like how exactly did would like reaching into there, like that kind of alternate reality help what Kingpin wanted, you know, like, and it, in that way, it kind of just felt like it did feel a little bit like, um, uh, the movie kind of trying to, I, I know that, well, Sony really do want to have like a, well, the, the it's in the title, Spider-Verse. They really have been wanting to have like a, a Spider-Man, cinematic universe and so in that way it did kind of feel a little bit like that's what they were intending to do like they even tried like they tried to do it with the ghostbusters movie a while ago they they wanted to have a ghostbusters cinematic universe you know and we won't go into that but it did feel a little bit like okay we've just got a whole bunch of different characters um because you know maybe if people like them we might be able to do like an animated series about penny parker we might be able to do a cartoon series about spider ham and stuff like that you know um it just felt like the movie in that way kind of went all over the place whereas it like had they kind of just focused on the actual story it would have made it a little bit better but still like i said it being a cartoon it it being like a chill like a cartoon aimed at kids it was still it, it um i could forgive it more for doing that you know yeah and i think also one of the things that that Marvel has been a little bit jealous about has been the fact that DC's animated films have worked so well. Um, I mean, even here in Australia, we saw 
these DC, especially the Batman kind of ones, were coming out and they were going straight to DVD. But they were doing so well in DVD sales that pretty soon the cinemas started to realise, hey, we could actually put these movies on for a weekend or a week. And people were commenting on the fact that some of the the um some of the ones like uh, Batman and um yeah, the Killing Joke uh, was one of the ones that got listed as it, but also Harley Quinn and Batman. Those those were being called better movies than what was like yeah, Justice League yeah. and stuff like the actual that. Live action, yeah. Yeah. The ones can do better. So I think Mike Marvel has also been a little bit jealous about that because, like, yeah, I've got a couple of the animated Batman, uh, the animated Spider-Man series um, on DVD, and they're nowhere near as good as the DC ones. So this really felt like. This was the movie where Marvel Animation really, like, kind of fought back, um, in, yeah, like, by making a film that was equally as good as any of the Marvel real-live action ones that have come out, and these guys went to such great lengths to protect this movie that, uh, like, Kingpin is voiced by, uh, Liv Schreiber, that wasn't even mentioned on IMDb, they were trying to keep so much of this movie under wraps, and that's normally not something that they would do for an animation, that's normally something that they would do for a big feature, um, so, yeah, they have really taken this very seriously, I don't know about the rest of the world, but here in Australia, we were seeing ads in cinemas for Spider-Verse a long time before the movie was coming out, like, that is also another big show of, like, we want to make a big deal about this, like, this was one, like, I know, like, just having seen Once Upon a Deadpool, there's always that running joke about how these movies that come out from Marvel, that come out through 20th Century Fox or through Sony, are kind of, like, embarrassing movies to Marvel, so they shut up about them. Marvel, like, really pushed this film, like, this was something they wanted to be proud of, so it's like, yeah, they really wanted to start the Marvel kind of animated universe to equal DC. That's the way it looks. The fact that they did get people like Phil Lord to work on this film as well would also indicate that. And I think, for me, the biggest weakness for this film is perhaps the animation, because they were so desperate to make this a 3D movie that I think the 2D version actually suffers as a result of that. There's, like, a lots of, like, kind of, like, weird spots and stuff on people's heads that yeah. I've been told are not, isn't there in the 3D version. So, like, it's obviously something about that conversion from 2D to 3D. Yeah, that's... I'm not... When I saw the trailers for this, like, I know that the um, uh, the Lego movie... Again, not sure how much Lord and Miller had with the style and decisions made in that direction. But, um, like, the Lego movie had a specific style to it, you know? It was kind of like... It was made to look like... Um, because there were so many uh, stop motion Lego movies, like even though the Le- even though the uh, the Lego movie itself was a CGI film, um, and the Lego Batman movie, all them stuff, all those, they still they made them look like they were they were stop motion animation, you know, because that and that was that was that really worked well. Like even though it was CGI, it was still made to look like stop motion animation. Um, uh, when I saw the trailers for this, I thought. They really, it really was going for like some kind of weird comic book style, like a really stylized animation, and it looked, it really, the trailers made it look like a mess, like it would give people headaches, and yeah. almost like it would be unbearable to watch. I'm not like, 
I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure if there've been people complaining about it or whatever. But um, yeah, we saw the 2D version, and yeah, with the animation, the animation style, some decisions that were made were, were kind of bizarre. Like, um, yeah, it did. There's there's some of the the textures look like they're supposed to be paper and stuff like that, but um, there's also things like uh, the way that they they show this. Um, objects in the distance um it's it really looked like and, and i really did think this when we were watching it i thought that they had put on the 3d version of the movie and forgotten to give us the 3d glasses like that's how bad it looked um but i don't like that's not what happened it just that's the style it's like there's a character there's a part where a character's like looking down at his hand and you see it in like his perspective and you see his hand like pretty clearly, but like his legs are like double vision. Yeah. You know, like it's just weird. It just looks really awkward and, uncom- and uncomfortable to look at. Um, something that I actually thought was was interesting. I thought that during the action scenes that I would be like would be getting motion sickness because of the this animation style. Like when I saw the trail, I think man, I think this thing's going to be hard to watch. Like Spider-Man th- flying through the air, getting in like action fights and stuff like that. I thought that it would be really hard to watch. This thing is actually it is easier to watch in the action scenes than it is during the scenes where the characters are just sitting at a table talking to each other. It's like I think that um yeah, for the action scenes they decided to f- they focused on just the action so you could see what was going on. But during the other scenes, just kind of like the static moments in the film, it's like they wanted to be cute. And they wanted to do it kind of like stylized and stuff like that. And it just, it really does, it really does look quite ugly in those parts. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And that's, I think, the biggest weakness for this. Because like I said, Mm. I I don't mind the story. In fact, I think it's probably one of the better um, origin story that Marvel has done for quite a while. Because they're... They've done some pretty ordinary ones in the past, so yeah, I actually think this is probably one of the better, um, the better origin stories that they've had, especially for Spider-Man. What did you think of the voice cast? Because I thought that was something that really worked with this movie as well was their their voice cast, and I know like they've gone with some big name people with like Zoe Kravitz doing uh, Mary Jane, uh, Nicolas Cage of course doing Spider-Man Noir, which. Pretty much means I don't know how many superheroes this guy hasn't like voiced or um or played now. Like it's absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, they they went with some real and like uh, Haley Steinfeld is in there as well. Like they went with some really really um well known people. But then even like I think the fact that they went with a, a lesser known person um to actually play the main role. Like they've gone with uh, Shamik Moore. I think that actually works in a sense because you're not focusing on like the like somebody with a big name playing yeah. the lead role. Um, because I did find that during this movie that there was times when I would hear a voice and I'll try to work out who it was because like I hadn't read that much about it before I went into it. But yeah, to choose someone whose like biggest movie so far to date was dope. I think that really worked and and yeah, I think the voice cast worked really really well yeah yeah um as you say like i was very i was very impressed by the the voice acting in it as well like um i knew instantly it was nick it was really funny hearing nicholas cage as spider-man because it's like 
I knew instantly that was Nicolas Cage. He has a really distinct voice. And I was just thought, man, it's <laughs> this, uh, it's like the second kind of crazy animated, um, superhero film that Nicolas Cage has been in this year. The other one being, uh, he played Superman in Teen Titans Go. Um, yeah, he's done a DC movie and he's done a Marvel superhero move character in, in the one year. Like, not many actors could say they've done that. Um, but yeah, it was uh, everybody, I think, did a really good job. Um, I was... When I heard that Jake Johnson was actually going to be playing Spider-Man, I was thinking... I, I, um, originally, I thought, well, why did they get somebody that sounds like a stoner to play Spider-Man, you know? And um, But then, like I said, in this movie... He's not, yeah, he's playing Pete, oh, Peter Parker, I mean. And, yeah, he's playing Peter Parker, but he's playing Peter Parker from the universe where he's a loser. So, like, the uh, the Peter Parker from the universe where he's the awesome alpha male is um, uh, played by, what was his name? Um, just trying to, Chris Pine, Chris Pine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and... That, yeah, it really, it worked. It was something I didn't think would work. I didn't think that Jake Johnson would, would was a correct choice to play Spider-Man, but it's like, yeah, it worked with the decision that they, that they, that they, um, that they went with. Uh, yeah, so, and Leif Schreiber, yeah, Leif Schreiber as Kingpin, that was, he was great as well, like, like, menacing, and I was, it was cool to see, um, Kingpin as a, a villain for Spider-Man as well, because, uh, I grew up watching the uh, the Spider-Man animated series in the 90s, and there was an old video game in the 90s that was based on that, where Kingpin was, like, the main Spider-Man villain. But I didn't know at the time that Kingpin was actually a Daredevil character. Yeah. I didn't know that he was actually the Daredevil villain. So he's never acted, like, in all the movies, Kingpin isn't a character in Spider-Man movies, you know? It's always Green Goblin or... Doc Ock or, or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so it was really cool. Like, that kind of... That took me back to the 90s seeing a, a Spider-Man movie where the Kingpin was playing the villain, the main villain again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, of course, Doc Ock does make an appearance here as well. And, oh, yeah, kind uh, of a... Yeah. Twist, a little twist on that. That was cool. Yeah, so that works really well. And, and, again, that helped them throw off the scent a little bit as well with IMDb because they had Doc Ock and Green Goblin of course, listed, but no Kingpin, so that really helped with that. So I guess that leads to the big question now. What did you give this movie out of five? Uh, I gave this movie three out of five. I still had some problems with the uh, the story, and, yeah, just as in... I was, I was happy to see them do Miles Morales um, as a Spider-Man, as Spider-Man, like, in this, uh, this take on it. Like, even when they did Spider-Man Homecoming... I was thinking, you know, they, they've done Peter Parker enough times, and, like, I would rather... I actually wanted them to do Miles Morales as the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man instead of Peter Parker, just because I'd seen Peter Parker's origin story so many damn times, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was, it was cool to see it done differently. Um, yeah, certain elements of the story I thought could have been done a little bit better, but I still had, a, I still had an enjoyable time watching it, so uh, I'm going to give it a three out of five. Yeah, I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. I did, I did really enjoy this film. In fact, it's something that I want to go back and and see again. And the one thing that I did have an issue with, which was Spider Ham, I don't have as much of it as an issue with it now. Now I've actually sat down and read what Phil Lord's idea was behind that character. So yeah, three and a half out of five for me. 
Now we're going to take a little bit of a break and we'll be back in just a moment and we'll be taking a look at the other big blockbuster that is about to come out in Bumblebee. And welcome back to the Popcorn Conspiracy, where we've just taken a look at Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now we're going to take a look at the other big franchise movie that is uh, about to come out into the cinemas, and that is Bumblebee. Now, of course, the much maligned Transformers series. Uh, what could they do to save this series? There was so much talk about what they were going to do. The ultimate aim, I think, was to try and reboot the series in a sense without actually rebooting it. What we've ended up with is a movie that uh, Michael Bay has not direct. He is there as a producer and Mark Wahlberg's character has completely disappeared. And it actually goes back, in a sense, back to the 1980s to, uh, to reboot a franchise without using that dreaded word, reboot. So, mate, I have to ask... What were you expecting from Bumblebee, and what were you thinking after you had seen it? Yeah, um, I've not been a fan of the other Transformers movies, so I wasn't really expecting much. Um, when they announced that the, the was it the sixth? Yeah, when they announced that the sixth uh, Transformers movie is going to be like a Bumblebee spinoff, I started getting worried, thinking, "Oh man, they're going to be they're." they're like they can't even do I, I was thinking they haven't even really been able to manage to do the main transformers movies all that well and now they're doing spin-offs they're going to be i was expecting it to be a complete mess um i was i did like the idea that they were going to have bumblebee go back to actually being a bug um a beetle a volkswagen beetle because uh yeah in the cartoons that i watched growing up volkswagen um bumblebee was always a bug and so yeah the the whole the decision to go back in the 80s i thought was interesting enough and um yeah just the the movie the movie is probably hands down the best transformers movie um primarily because it is not as much of a mess as the other films have been um michael bay like i think michael bay you know, i'm 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 not somebody who just hates on Michael Bay, you know? Like, I think he can do good movies, but the Transformers films have not been an example of that in any way. Um, and I think they're ve they're really just too busy, there's too many characters, there's too many robots, there's too much going on, and they're just a complete mess. You don't care about anything that's happening, you, uh, you actually get bored during the action scenes, there's just so much going on. Um, with this one, they cut way back, uh, maybe because... I don't know, maybe because the last movie wasn't quite as successful as they thought it would be, so maybe they just, or maybe it's because this was a, kind of a prequel, so they didn't want to have something that, like, you know, world-devastating event that everyone's supposed to have forgotten about, you know? Um, but, yeah, the, it was a lot, just a lot better. Like, it was much more down-to-earth. They cut back way on, way down on the amount of uh, robots that were in it. They're only, really, there's only three primary characters three primary uh, 
um, Transformers in the movie, and it just it makes the movie a lot. It, it means that they're able to focus on the story a lot better, and the movie was just a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, I, I think what really worked with this movie was, and it's probably a really brave choice that the studio have done. They've kind of gone away from using anybody that was associated with the Transformers franchise, except for um, Michael Bay being a producer. I mean, they've they've gone and got. Um, Christina Hodson to write this. Now, Christina Hodson uh, wrote The Thriller, Shut In. She uh, wrote Unforgettable, which is a bit of a romance film. And her next two projects that she's actually working on are, are, um, are the Batgirl film and also Birds of Prey, which is the, the Harley Quinn um, kind of film um, that's coming out through DC. So they've kind of gone away and got a writer who knows how to write thriller, she knows how to write romance, and she obviously understands the comic book world too, or else she wouldn't be working for DC. At the same time, they've also gone and got a Oscar-nominated director um, to work on the movie as well. So maybe a director who knows how to tighten up a script. Um, they went and got Travis Knight, who I think most people would probably know for uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, a film that I absolutely loved from a couple of years ago. So it feels like they wanted to put this movie into the hands of two people that knew what they were doing. And I don't mean that as any kind of disrespect to Michael Bay at all, but I think that the last few Transformers movies have been to Michael Bay. Like it was becoming a parody to the point where like people like honest trailers didn't even have to parody the film because the film kind of parodied itself. And I loved the first Transformers film. Like I know a lot of people out there didn't, but I actually liked the original Transformers movie, and then the rest of them I thought were just really bad. They were just absolute messes. Whereas, as you just mentioned, Travis Knight and Christina Hodson have gone back to basic filmmaking with this movie. Um, it it feels to me like they've got influences from movies like The Iron Giant, um, Real Steel, where it's just basically a story about a, a giant robot and, a, and an Earthling meeting... Yeah. And forming a friendship. Um, they, It's that basic Disney storyline. But it works so well in this um, in this world. And I think the fact that they've also got an Oscar nominated actress. In Hayley Steinfeld playing the young girl. That automatically gives the movie more credibility as well. Um, and I think it works. I think they've given her enough material. This almost feels to me like a Herbie movie. Because, I don't know, yeah. maybe it's because, like, Bumblebee is a beetle, but it almost feels like what you would want a Herbie movie to be these days with the added elements of the Transformers. And again, I love the fact that they're really only fighting two Decepticons here. There's no none of these great big earth-shattering Michael Bay let's destroy the city sequence where you've got, like, 20 Decepticons taking on 20 Autobots. It really just is the two Decepticons versus Bumblebee for most of the film. And I think that actually works. They've gone right back to basics. There's a couple of things in there that really annoy me. I I really hate this idea that when you have one of these movies, you've got to make the rest of the family idiots. Like, yeah. the, the mum and dad being idiots the way they were, I, I thought that didn't work. I don't care if the brother is an idiot. I mean, that's just the way that teenage girls see their brother. But I thought having the parents as complete idiots was was a bit weird, and my uh, probably my only other criticism would be the character of Agent Burns, played here by John Cena. It really did feel 
like they were kind of trying to tap into that character from the first couple of Transformers movies, and I think they would have actually been better off giving John Cena a little bit more characterization. He does come across a little bit G.I. Joe in this film, and I would have liked to have seen them actually give him a little bit of um, characterization, because as we've seen in the last couple of years with movies like Trainwreck, John Cena can actually be a character actor if you give it to him. He's not just your big brawn. He can actually play a character. So he actually, Yeah, he is actually likable in, in some movies. Um, yeah, you, I mean, you've seen him in The Marine in a lot of movies when he was starting out. He's just like, you know, brain-dead, action-hunk kind of guy, and he's kind of gone into a lot more uh, comedic roles recently. Um, uh, yeah, Daddy's Home, stuff like that, and uh, what was that one we just saw about the the, the parents trying to stop their, uh, their blockers? Daughter? Yeah, 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 blockers. Yeah, and he, and he was likable in that. Um, I actually, I actually liked him in this. Um, just, I think he did come off like he was charismatic enough. He did come off as quite likable. But yeah, just the way that it was, it made me think that it had been edited, uh, kind of weird. Because um, I don't know what the deal was, but like. When he's first introduced, they introduce him and um, his like team, like him and his uh, fellow soldiers, doing like a um, a paintball exercise, you know. And then Bumblebee comes flying out of space, causes like huge devastation. And there was this other character that they really focused on, John Cena's, like this friend of John Cena's, and. Then you never see that character again throughout the rest of the movie, and it had me thinking like whether that character was supposed to have died as a result of Bumblebee coming to Earth, and whether that was actually that was supposed to have driven uh, John Cena's character to why he was why he becomes kind of the antagonist, kind of the like human antagonist. Um, but yeah, they never really went into that, and yeah, it makes makes me wonder whether something was cut. From the movie, maybe they didn't want to have Bumblebee... <laughs> the first thing that Bumblebee does when he lands on Earth is kill a bunch of people by accident. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm not, I'm not sure whether they changed that. But yeah, as you say, the, uh, the supporting characters in the Transformers movies, the supporting characters have always just been not very well written. Because um, they've, they've got so... Again, they've got so much to go to go with. They've got so much that they've got to do. They've got all these Transformers they've got to introduce. They've got all the Autobots, all the Decepticons. They've got the good, the main human characters. They've got the main human characters' love interests. They've got the main human characters' family and friends. And and yeah, that was all. That was always like one of the worst things about um, uh, the Transformers franchise. Like, there's for one thing in uh, the very first movie, um, like Charlotte Booth. Um, or however you say his name. Um, yeah, his character, like, early on has this, uh, has this friend that he's traveling around with, and he kicks him out of his car so he can get Megan Fox, so he can give the seat to Megan Fox. As you would. As you, as you would. would, of course, of course. <laughs> but you never see this friend again. Like, and it's like, what was he That's probably why. Yeah, I know, it's like, oh, don't need you anymore, I've got Megan Fox now. But it's like, <laughs> Well, like, that was the thing. It was like, yeah, why even bother with that character? And, like, so many of the characters in the tra- in this Transformers franchise, they're just, they're given, like, nothing to work with because there's so much other stuff going on. Like, um, yeah, I, like, you even forget that there's major actors in some of the other films. Like, you like you forget that Anthony Hopkins is in 
the was in the previous the last transform uh, the last night. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling Anthony Hopkins wants to forget <laughs> that he was in the last night, but yeah, exactly, yeah, <laughs> like you forget that the characters are in it because it's like there's just so much other stuff going on. There's just so many different characters. This one, they because like I said, they cut it way back. They didn't have all these other useless characters in it. But the like the family members, they were still not that well written. They still probably could have done a little bit more with them. Um, but it was still not as egregious as it has been in the other films. Um, for, like another example of that would be uh, Memo, uh, uh, the character of Memo, who's this uh, this boy who lives across the street from um, uh, Charlie, who's uh, Haley Steinfeld's character. He well, he doesn't quite even live across the street. He li- they live in a cul-de-sac. He lives like, like two houses down. Like they face, their houses seem to face each other. Uh, he works at the same place, the same fest, the same uh, fair that she works at. And he's for like the entire first half of the movie, he's trying to talk to her, and she's like doesn't even know his name. And it's like you can even imagine that they they went to the same school. Why not? They live in the same street, you know. But she doesn't even know his name, and it's just that whole thing. It just felt a little weird. Like by the time they actually introduce him, like and by the time they actually start uh, interacting with each other, it's way too late in the movie for you to really care about that character. And it seems like he was just chucked in there to give her a character to talk to, an actual human character to talk to, because Bumblebee can't talk, and they can't just have her talking like one-sided conversations with a big giant transformer you know they actually have to have human characters for her to talk to um but yeah just some of the some of the human interactions in the movie didn't really work out that well but again it's 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 kind of a funny thing like any other movie i would be like still like looking down on it but it's like compared to the other transformers movies this is still the best attempt yet so i've still got to give it praise for that you know yeah and even the battle sequences work really well as well in this film um i think uh, i was i've always been one of those people that's got kind of really sick and tired of like what i've come to call the michael bay style action where it's just um shot upon shot you can't really tell always what's going on in those shots like and this movie doesn't do that the fact that the end battle is pretty much just a couple of decepticons Bumblebee and Charlie, it actually makes it work a lot better. And because there's so few characters, I think you actually get to to care for those characters a little bit more as well. Yeah, the the, uh, the colors, real like this is something that for several movies, and they ne- they've never really never seemed to get a hang of it in the Transformers movies was that the thing it just the fight scenes just became a mess of grey. Like, the Decepticons were all grey. Whether it was Megatron or his underlings, it was just, they were just grey. You know, like, some of the some of the Autobots had specific colour codes, you know? But, um, yeah, the most of the characters were just grey. So, when there was a fight scene, it was just like this big, giant, just massive grey metal fighting with each other, fighting with itself, you know? It looked like, uh, my brother calls it, it's like a, um, like watching the the mince the mincer that they have at a uh, recycling plants that's all it looked like just yeah. metal mashing against each other 
uh, yeah, in this movie, that's what I leaned over to you and said, like, yeah, you can actually see during the fight scenes, one of the characters, like, one of them is, the good guy's yellow, and the bad guys, one of them is blue, and one of them is red. And you can see which, what is happening. You can actually make out what is happening. Um, like, even though, that, like, again, Michael Bay, like, he's a, I think he's a competent director. He can do action scenes. But, yeah, when he, when it comes to these movies, it's just it's just a complete mess. Whereas this film, being directed by somebody who hadn't really done much live-action big stuff like this before, it was just, it was a lot more coherent. You could actually make out what was going on, which really, again, made the fight scenes a lot more enjoyable, as well as actually caring about the characters. Mm. Yeah. I completely, <laughs> as I was having a drink, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, um, I do completely agree with that. Like, yeah. yeah, like I said, and I think that also gives them more of a chance to give Bumblebee some characterization as well. Um, like, you weren't sitting there for this entire movie and trying to work out who's voicing Bumblebee, which is actually voiced by Dylan O'Brien, for everyone out there that, that does want to know that. But, um... For, like, the two lines that he actually talks at the beginning before he yeah, his voice. <laughs> but it, it gives much more characterization to the characters that are, that are there. Like, I think you get to know more about Charlie as a character in this film than what you ever got to know about, um, Witwicky in the other films. Yeah. Like, um... And he was in three films, and you didn't, and you just, you didn't care about him when he wasn't in the fourth movie. Yeah, whereas in it this, just, yeah. whereas in this film, when her life is in danger, I think you actually do kind of care what happens to her. So, um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting now to see where they go with this. Like, do they give these two? Do they give Christina Hotson and Travis Knight the keys to do the next Transformers movie? Do they make it Bumblebee two? Yeah. Do they um do they bring in the others? Because in order to bring in the others, you've kind of got to reboot the franchise, which I know yeah. they don't want to do. But in order to do that, you're going to have to bring Optimus Prime and stuff to Earth and kind of uh, forget that the whole original Transformers movie st- that happened. I don't yeah. know. Like it, it, It's going to be really interesting. I, I've heard a couple of things that they might... Um, the next one might be a Prime movie, like a kind of based around Optimus Prime, but I don't know, like, Bumblebee seems to be the character that a lot of people have warmed to over the years, so it would be a bit risky, I think, to do that, So, but it'll be interesting, because I yeah. know the one thing they've been trying not to say about this the whole time is that it's a reboot, but yeah. I think in order to make another Transformers movie and have Hayley Steinfeld's character of Charlie in there, it's going to have to be a reboot. Yeah, they, um... <sighs> The movie was the movie seems to be made so it could be seen as both a prequel to the other five movies and as you say also a reboot like going right back to the beginning. There's a couple of little tiny nods to the original and there's a couple of little things that don't really line up with the original like um, Optimus Prime coming to Earth. Um, yeah, just the way that it was in a way it's like this movie makes it out like um that in a way it makes it out like that bumblebee came to earth like 20 years earlier than he actually did yeah um but uh yeah it it, it'll be interesting to see what they like as you say it'll be interesting to see what they do with the next like where they go from here because um yeah the last transformers movie heavily set up for another sequel 
and the thing is, like after after like the who like the the level of quality of the other Transformers films, really, I I didn't care. Like, okay, yeah, you want to do another sequel, but like, I don't really care where you go with this. I like I'm I I would be I would be much more interested in seeing them continue on. Uh, yeah, kind of just just wipe the slate. To be honest, I, I'd be much more interested to see them wipe the slate, learn from the mistakes of the last uh, the last few Transformers movies, and um, yeah, go from there. Something that I actually would have been interested to see that um, this movie kind of has like a bit of the the battle on Cybertron uh, at the fall of Cybertron at the at the right at the beginning. And it's something that's only really been shown very briefly in the other movies. Like, as big and huge budget as the other movies were, they, they, the, the actual fall of Cybertron was never really focused on. Yeah. And um, that was that's something that actually would have been... I think that that itself could make maybe an interesting movie. But then it kind of means they've got to go the, uh, the Conjuring... Annabelle the Nun kind of way, whereas they got to actually go even further into the past now and do another prequel to this prequel, you know, like yeah, um, yeah, it'll be it, uh, it'll be interesting to see because of course they're not going to not make Transformers movies; they're going to continue making them. But uh, yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be interesting to see what what they do with it. Yeah, and like universally, it's not just us that is liking. Um that is liking Bumblebee at the moment. It's mm. sitting at um, 98% on um, Rotten Tomatoes at the moment. So, like, that that basically means that 98% of the critics that have seen the film so far have liked it. And I'm just, like, really quickly at the moment having a look at the other Transformer I, movies and, like... I think it's a bit different. than I think it's a bit lower percent than 98 for the rest of them. Yeah, well, like, the original yeah. film at the moment is sitting at 57%. Uh, <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen is sitting at 19%. Uh, what else have we got here? Uh, Dark of the Moon is at 35%. Age of Extinction at 18%. And Last Night, 15%. Ooh. So, I think, uh, yeah, I think pretty much adding up all of those, you uh, Bumblebee's got a higher score than all of those added together. So, yeah, it really does show that like a lot more people are loving Bumblebee. And I know talking to a lot of the other critics... Here in Australia, a few of them have said that this is the best Transformers movie that has ever been made. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a big thumbs up for Bumblebee. But what do you give Bumblebee out of five? I'm going to give this... uh, I'll give this three and a half out of five. Um, Again, kind of comparing it a little bit to the other movies, in a way. But, uh, yeah, this is really the level... Like, even in some ways, like, the relationship between Charlie and and, um, Bumblebee... Is uh is very very similar to the Sam Wiki and Bumblebee in the original Transformers movie. It's really this is really what they should have done. Like this is kind of much smaller smaller level and just characters that you actually care about. This is this is kind of the Transformers movie that I think they should have made. Uh, however many years ago um, when Michael Bay took on the franchise. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm giving it a three and a half out of five. I, I, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm giving it three and a half out of five as well. I I really did enjoy it. I thought it was um, the, the probably the best Transformers movie since the original. I, there was a couple of little things in there, as I mentioned before, that I thought they could have improved on, um, especially with that annoying family. 
But uh, all up, yeah, I thought this was a, a pretty decent Transformers movie. And perhaps the most realistic to the television series that we've seen over the years as well. So, yeah, three and a half out of five for me. And, of course, earlier on we gave uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse three and three and a half as well. So, uh, thumbs up for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and also Bumblebee. Well, it's time for us to go. We'll be back very, very soon with another episode. There are so many movies coming out at the moment that we're going to try and cover as many of them as we can. So we'll be back in the not-too-distant future with another episode of The Popcorn Conspiracy. But for now, I've been Dave G. And my name's been Kyle. And we'll be back soon with another episode of The Popcorn Conspiracy. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.